reach the ideal. I want to strive for the ideal. I want to measure up to the ideal. But sometimes we don't measure up to the ideal. And the reality gets very, very messy. I want to preach to you tonight that it would be better if we would strive for the ideal and not get buried in the reality and create a bunch of excuses because of the reality. But to rise up among all of that stuff and say, God, I'm reaching for something that is greater than my present reality. I'm reaching for the ideal of your power and your ability. I'm striving for that. I'm reaching for that. Amen. So there's difficult things that nobody really has answers to. The only thing that I can say, and this is what I teach, this is the scripture, this is it. And, and you're going to have to answer to that. So you try to do everything within your power to measure up to the ideal. And then sometimes the reality is such that nobody has answers for stuff. And it's very, very difficult. But you should try to make every effort, every effort, before you walk away, give in, turn the other way, go a different direction. You should have within your spirit a conviction that I've tried everything within my power to do what is necessary and to do what is right. I believe that if a child of God and living for God will approach God in this manner, you're going to make it. You're not going to be perfect. But if there's something on the inside of you, like David, that said, I want to be a man after God's own heart. My life is a mess. The reality is a mess but I'm still pursuing the ideal of being called a man after God's own heart. David didn't have everything perfect. It wasn't aligned just right, but God honored him because he had something on the inside that said no matter where I fall, how I fall, how many times I fall, I know that I've got to make sure that my relationship with God is secure, and so I'm going to keep pursuing God's mercy. I'm going to keep pursuing God's grace. I'm not giving in and I'm not giving up, but I'm going to keep pressing forward. Hallelujah. Some of you sitting on a church pew, you should be happy with pastor tonight because I'm trying to encourage you. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. Keep moving forward. You've heard of this phrase, dear John, right? Where did it come from? The exact origins of the phrase are unknown, but most likely the origin dates back to 1862. A poem that was written by Victorian poet Christina Rossetti, and the entitlement was No Thank You, John. This is a short poem in 1862. I never said I loved you, John. Why will you tease me day by day and wax a weariness to think upon with always do and pray? You know I never loved you, John. No fault of mine made me your toast. Why will you haunt me with a face as wan as shows an hour old ghost? I dare say Meg or Maul would take pity upon you if you had asked. And pray don't remain single for my sake who can't perform that task. I have no heart, perhaps I have not, but then you're mad to take offense that I don't give you what I have not got. Use your common sense. Let bygones be bygones. Don't call me false who owed not to be true. 
I'd rather answer no to 50 Johns than to answer yes to you. Let's mar our pleasant days no more, songbirds of passion, days of youth. Catch at today, forget the days before, I'll wink at your untruth. Let us strike hands as hearty friends, no more, no less, and friendship's good. Only don't keep in view ulterior ends and points not understood. In open treaty, rise above, quibbles and shuffling off and on. Here's friendship for you if you like, but love, no thank you, John. This possibly was origins for Dear John. It's commonly believed to have been coined by the Americans in World War II. John was the most popular and common baby name for boys in America every single year from 1880 to 1923, making it a reasonable placeholder name when denoting those of age for military service. Large numbers of American troops were stationed overseas for many months or years, and as time passed, many of their wives or girlfriends decided to begin relationships with new men rather than to wait for the soldiers to return. And as letters to the servicemen from wives or girlfriends back home would typically contain affectionate language such as, Dear Johnny, my dearest John, or simply darling, a serviceman receiving a note beginning with a curt, Dear John, would instantly be aware of the letter's purpose. An early reference to Dear John letters was made in the United Press article of March 21, 1944. It has been claimed that the Vietnam War inspired more Dear John letters than any other U.S. conflict. Recently, when written to a female, the letter is referred to as a Dear Jane letter in contemporary usage. The changing role of women in the U.S. armed forces created during the Iraq War, the possibility of female soldiers being posted overseas for extended periods while their partners were left behind. The letter, Dear John, reflected a breaking away, a breakup, a disconnecting of a previous attachment. Sometimes dire, as stated by history, when there was a breakup of marriage, it was dire. And at other times, like the poem from which the origin is connected, maybe not so dire, and yet the Dear John letter circumstance overwhelmingly was negative. It was a negative thing. Now, I don't want to be too presumptuous here, but I wonder if anybody at any point in time has ever received a Dear John letter. However, I want to look at this from another light here tonight because there are some things that you should break away from. And there are some things that you should disconnect from. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now also you have put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. When you came to God and God did great things in your life, there was a change from an old man and an old deed to a new man and a new deed. There were some things that you broke away from. There were some things that you disconnected from and you said I'm not walking according to that old path anymore but I'm walking to a new path I'm not walking to the same old beat of the drum but it's a new beating of the drum that I am walking to I'm going to disconnect myself from some things because God has done a new thing in my life can I get a witness in the house of God tonight there were some things you were connected to there were some relationships that you were connected to. But when you came to God and God did mighty things in your life, there was a disconnection from those things. And old things became new things. I'm thankful to be in the house of God tonight. I'm not walking according to the old man, but I'm walking according to the new man in Christ Jesus where there's neither bond nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. It's only what God does. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord. Praise God that God gave you the ability and the empowerment to remove yourself from some things. It was a breakaway. There was a moving away in our text verse. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he said, put away from you bitterness, and put away from you wrath, and put away from you anger and clamor and evil speaking. Praise God. You need to write a Dear John letter and say, I'm not going to maintain the relationship with bitterness anymore because bitterness is something that can kill you, absolutely rule you, keep you in bondage, destroy you and everybody else around you, the people closest to you. I'm disconnecting from bitterness. It's not going to rule my life anymore. I'm going to let Jesus be the author and finisher of my faith. I'm disconnecting and putting away anger. I'm not going down that route anymore because it's not beneficial to me or anybody else. I'm looking for for a peace that passes all understanding. God, I'm disconnecting. <laughs> I'm breaking away from some things. Abraham made a break from the idolatry of his homeland. Whatever connections he had in the Ur of the Chaldees when God called him. He walked away. Hebrew said he went not knowing where he was going. And in order to do that, he had to come out of a land of idolatry. 
and say, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm not worshiping idols, but I'm following the one true living God. Well, who's that, Abraham? I don't know, but I'm following him because he's given me a promise. And so I'm going to follow him. Well, where are you going? I have no idea where I'm going, but I know this. God's going to be better to me than any of the idols that I've been connected to, my family's been connected to. I'm not living in idolatry anymore. I'm going to pursue Yahweh because he's given to me a promise and a blessing. And so that's what I'm pursuing. You need to stop pursuing the idolatry of the world and say, God, I'm going to start pursuing the one true living God in whom is power and deliverance and strength. Abraham broke away. Abraham disconnected. Abraham removed all the entanglements that he had in the Ur of the Chaldees, and he became the father of the faithful because he trusted in God. Do you really trust God here tonight? You may be going through some difficult situations, but if you're a person of faith, you keep following God no matter where he takes you. It may be like it's in a desert, and there's no place here, and you don't see the promise materializing, but I'm preaching to you, just keep the faith. Just keep trusting God. You're in the right place, in the right hands. Don't follow the dictates of idolatry. Follow the king. <laughs> Abraham disconnected. Jacob broke away from his deception. His whole identity was deception and manipulation. And at the brook Jabbok, Jacob was left alone and wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except you bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed in order for Jacob to make the transition to Israel he had to disconnect he had to break away from an old identity of deception and manipulation don't you dare tell me that you don't have to change when you come to Jesus Christ you change everything you don't stay the same what kind of a church would preach to somebody that you could stay the same way that you are and still be saved that's a a diabolical message from hell because Jesus is about transforming who you are and changing who you are. Disconnect, disassociate, put away and say, God, I've got a new identity. I'm not the same individual. I may be Irish, but I'm a born again Irishman or Irish woman. I'm different. My family may have been steeped in alcoholism, but I'm not an alcoholic anymore because God has done rich things in my life. I feel like preaching right there. I feel like a, I feel like whack-a-mole. I feel like a mole came up. I'm going to whack it. Listen, if you've got some kind of past or failure, don't let anybody tell you that that's who you are or what you're going to be. That is a lie. You are not that because God has better intentions for you. I'm a child of God. I may have failed, but I'm more than a conqueror. 
You got to disconnect. You got to you got to break away from some things. David, whoo, David broke away from apathy and fear against Goliath. When he gets to the camp, everybody's apathetic. Nobody wants to go to battle. David said, is there not a cause? Everybody was apathetic. Apathy means you just don't care. You're, you're not going to rise up and fight. You're not going to do anything because you're apathetic. Apathy has become a connection to you. You're not going to have revival with apathetic folks. Praise God. You want to come to church and sit on a church pew and be apathetic? Well, watch the church go down in not a blaze of glory, but it'll be a blaze, all right, a blaze of apathy. Praise God. David said, there is a cause. There's somebody coming out here breathing for 40 days, and all you're doing is retreating back into your tent. Somebody needs to stand up and serve the one true living God who leads the army of Israel. I am not going to stand here and watch this take place. I am not going to be apathetic, but I'm going to be inspired to do great things for God. I'm going to be inspired to see revival take place. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm not going to fold my arms and just sit there and complain about everything that I don't like. And it doesn't just go perfectly for me, but I'm going to say there's a bigger picture here. The bigger picture it, the bigger picture is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what is important. David said, you come to me with sticks and staves and swords, and, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Praise God. There is a power that's coming with me, hallelujah, that is greater than anything that you could try to impress and try to bring conflict to the God that I serve. He's walking with me. David broke away from apathy, and he broke away from fear. You need to stop living in fear. Our whole world is about fear. Fear, 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 fear for years it's been. I'm tired of that. Stop it. Enough with it. We all know it's political. We all know it's a control thing. It's, it's, it's a devil's business. Come on, stop living in fear. People living in fear. Children living in fear. Scared out of their minds. Listen, the Holy Ghost is going to help us. The Holy Ghost is a healer. The Holy Ghost is a strength. God is with us. We're not being stupid. We just know that God is able to do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. I'm not living in fear. I'm living in the joy of the Lord that is unspeakable and full of glory. Woo! Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord and thank him. God, you've been our strength in the middle of the difficulty. You've been our anchor in the middle of the storm. The Hebrew boys, they broke away from intimidation and they did not bow. Woo. Everybody else is bowing. Everybody else is bowing to the music. King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon has created a band, the royal band, and the royal band is playing and everybody's supposed to bow. That's the decree. But there's three Hebrew children that's standing up. They refused to be intimidated. They broke away from the status quo 
and the status quo was everybody was doing it. Listen, I don't care if everybody is doing it. It doesn't make it right. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I heard that when I was a young person too, and I thought, yeah, you're just old folk and you don't understand. But it's true in every generation. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you have to do it or that it even makes any sense. Everybody used to smoke cigarettes. That doesn't make any sense and it kills people. But because Hollywood said it was cool, everybody thought it was cool until at some point somebody said, you're killing all of us. I remember going into restaurants. I was young enough to remember, smoking or non-smoking. Well, doesn't the smoke kind of rise? <laughs> you think I'm crazy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. You buy a house where there's been a smoker in the house, and you tell me I'm crazy. Uh-huh. When you start to paint and then it comes through the paint and then it comes down the wall. And at one point, everybody was doing it. Everybody was doing it. That doesn't make it right. And the Hebrew boys broke away from intimidation. They refused to bow because they said, it's not about what everybody's doing. It's about what God's doing. And what God's doing is different than what everybody else is doing. I'm, I, I may be in the minority, but that's okay. I'd rather be in the minority and be on God's side than be in the majority and be lost. I'm going to follow the dictates of what God tells me to do. And God told me, you don't bow to any idol. You don't bow to any image. But you worship the one true living God. I don't care how good the band is, how good the musicians are. We are not bowing to the image. You can throw us in a fiery furnace, and that will be okay. And we'll go in a fiery furnace. And if God rescues us, great. And if he doesn't, great. You know what happened when they went in the fiery furnace? There was was another one in the fiery furnace and God showed up he always shows up when somebody has conviction John the Baptist broke away from religious stagnation 400 years that brought us religious groups like the Pharisees and Sadducees that you don't get at the end of the the Hebrew, the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible. By the time of Jesus, you get such a fixation on the scripture that they had because there was no prophetic voice. That they started worshiping the scripture as God. And then they added a bunch of traditions on top of it. Their old traditions that Jesus could never penetrate. And John the Baptist came on the scene and he said, I'm breaking away from religious stagnation out at the Jordan River. When you think of the Jordan River, you think of a mighty river, crystal clear. It's about from the corner of this stage to that, that pew right there. That's about how wide it is. Muddy, muddy, muddy. Looks like chocolate running down through there. It captures all the debris in that valley, and it just comes down there. And John's out there. He's baptizing. And he's baptizing with a baptism of repentance. And he's saying, you, you, you need to change your direction and the course of which you're going 
because there is one that is coming after me that's mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoe I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I baptize you with the baptism of water, but he that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I'm going to be a forerunner of what is coming. I'm just here to testify to you and tell you there is something great coming behind me. And along comes Jesus. John was powerful because he broke away from a religious stagnation. Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, I know this is an apostolic church, but I don't want anything to do with religion. I am sorry religion is stagnant. It is dry. It's not, I want I want an experience. That's what I want. I want a new birth experience that transforms and changes. I don't want a bunch of hierarchy and a bureaucracy and a system and all that stuff. You know what I want? A move of the Holy Ghost. That's what I desire. I want God to break through and break out in a powerful way to where people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Religion doesn't even believe in the Holy Ghost anymore. Religion doesn't even believe in baptizing in Jesus' name. The only baptism you're ever going to find in the Bible is baptism in Jesus' name. Why? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I wish I had some apostolic folks that believe that you need to be baptized in a name that's above every name. There is power in that name. There's deliverance in that name. Man, I'm telling you right now, I'll go, rec I'll go on record right now. You say, better be careful. Better be careful. This could be dangerous. It probably is. I probably shouldn't say it because it's probably really controversial. <clears throat> if I were to backslide, I would not be going to any church that did not believe in baptism in Jesus' name. I'm sorry, I just couldn't. It's, it's too ingrained in my DNA. I'm, there is no way I'm going to sit in a place and hear... <laughs> Words of inspiration, and there is no baptism in Jesus' name when it's so very clear in the Scripture. Yeah, you're saying, well, you better be careful. You better be careful. I mean, the only way that I could think of it is, well, if I went somewhere, either I wouldn't go to church at all, or if I went somewhere, it would be somewhere they baptize in Jesus' name, be more of a charismatic thing, so there wouldn't be any holiness or separation. But the problem with that is whenever you start picking at the doctrine, you end up picking and unraveling holiness and separation. And when you start unraveling it, guess what you lose? Baptism in Jesus' name. And so you just end up being a charismatic church. I'm going on record here. God help me. I always want to be in this house because I love this place and I love the truth and I don't ever want to forsake or leave the truth. But I couldn't be involved in a religion that doesn't preach something that is so valuable and clear 
clear as day in Acts 2, 10, 19. It's all there, 2, 8, 10, 19. They were baptized in Jesus' name. But religion says, oh, no, we're going to take that out. We're going to provide another formula. There is only one name, and there's only one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. If he's in you, you ought to thank him. Whoa! If he's in you, you ought to thank him for the blessing that his power resides in you. Jesus disconnected from silence. And an overbearing system that could not bring satisfaction. He disconnected. He broke away. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come to not to destroy but to fulfill the unsatisfactory elements of what the law could not do. Because it was a schoolmaster that could tell you where you were wrong, but it didn't empower you to be able to live above your wrong. Jesus said, I'm disconnecting from that and I'm coming to fulfill something that is more powerful. First Peter chapter one and verse 18, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who was Verily foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. That your faith and hope might be in God. Jesus disconnected from a system that was unsatisfactory. And he instituted something that was very satisfactory. You don't have to go find a, a lamb, a goat, a turtle dove, a bullock, and bring that and offer a blood sacrifice because he became the lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. He's the only lamb that you need. Praise God. You don't need an old system that was unsatisfactory. You got what you need in Jesus Christ because his sacrifice is greater than the old system that was unsatisfactory. His blood is able to do more than a bull's blood. His blood is able to do more than a turtle dove's blood. His blood is able to wash and cleanse you to the absolute uttermost. I don't care what sin there is. God is a God that gave the sacrifice that is able to wash it and cleanse it and renew you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. God paid a price for you. You know I shouldn't even be here. Really, I shouldn't. I shouldn't even be standing behind this pulpit. But God thought it worthy enough to pay a very, very big price for me. I'm not worthy to be here, but he paid the price. While we were yet sinners, he died for the ungodly. You shouldn't be here, but he paid the ultimate price. Galatians says... Chapter 1, verse 4, 
who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Through the empowering work of Jesus Christ, he broke us away from the wretchedness of sin. Through the price that he paid, he broke us away from the wretchedness of sin. Anybody remember those days? And he put his spirit in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 puts it like this. The spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God puts his spirit in you and prays for you for things that you don't even know what you're praying for. And he breaks you and disconnects you from the wretchedness of sin. I like that word, wretchedness. Wretched. Sin is not your favorite little toy that you play around and toy with. I'll just dabble here a little bit and I can control it. You can't control sin. You, you are playing a dangerous game. You think you can somehow get into a little bit of fisticuffs and a little bit of fight with sin and you can control it. Sin always takes you farther than you ever wanted to go and destroys everything that is good in your life and drives you, pile drives you to the lowest denominator. Jesus, on the other hand, reaches way down in the pit and tries to pull you out of the pit that sin puts you in. The church should preach about sin and against sin. The church should sing about and against sin and the power of God to deliver people from their sin. Sin. I was in sin and trespasses, but thanks be to God that he redeemed me out of that stuff and that muck and that mire. I didn't have anywhere to turn to, but thank God God broke me out of the wretchedness of sin. Praise God, I thought I'd have more testifying here tonight because you know what it was like to be bound in the wretchedness of sin. But God came to you and his mercy touched you and his grace empowered you to do a 180 from the lifestyle that you were in and gave you liberty and freedom. And somebody might say, you folks are nuts. You are crazy. You're absolute. We, we are crazy, and we're crazy for Jesus. Because there may be some programs, but programs didn't save me. It might have helped me, inspired me, gave me a leg up somehow. But ultimately, it's not programs that can save me. What can save me is Jesus can save me. What? What, what can save me is his spirit that can save me. What can deliver me is Jesus. Praise God. Musicians come here tonight. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, hmm, 
he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus delivered us from bondage and snatched the power out of the hand of the devil that was using death as leverage against us. Jesus delivered us from addiction. Jesus delivered us from abuse. Jesus delivered us from dysfunction. Jesus broke us away from bondage and substance abuse and secret societies and group affiliation and initiation. He broke us away from illicit relationships that would damage and try to control us. And he connected us to something that is greater. So my advice to you tonight is you need to write a Dear John letter to some connections and some things and some bondage and some difficulties and some abuse and some dysfunction. And you say, need to say no more. Dear, dear John, I am formally writing you a letter to end our relationship. <laughs> because I found someone that's, that's greater. You know, I don't know that I've met too many people that will tell me, man, the devil's awesome. It's great. It's all good. The Bible says there's fun and sin for a season. But that's the biggest lie. That's a big marketing ploy because when you see the other side of what sin is, it's, 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 not, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. Praise God. My inspiration for this message, and I asked her if I could use it. Sister Lisa received the Holy Ghost two weeks ago right here in these altars. And Sister Christy Andreas, Brother Raymond, I'm so excited your sister's in the house of God. You know, I, 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 I'll say this, Brother Raymond, you did a fantastic job this morning, by the way. I'll say this. <clears throat> People connected to you in all of your former relationships, they're here, but it's not because of something that you didn't try to do because you've reached out to every single one of those people. You've gone, you've gone, who knows where you've gone to try to pull them out of where they've been. And you've done your due diligence to try to reach out and respond. And I respect you greatly for that. I've seen you praying with drug addicts and gangbangers and, and, and people in your past. And it, it means a lot to me. But the fact that your sister's in the house of God is... <laughs> and she received the Holy Ghost two weeks ago. And she was baptized in Jesus' name. And she received the Holy Ghost. And she's a child of God, and she's trying to do her very best. And so she had to take a class or something, one of those responsibilities that you have to do, right? And so they told her, Lisa, you need to write a Dear John letter to the thing that, was, that troubled you and that you've come out of. And so she did. And Sister Christy Andreas sent it to me. 
And I read it, and I'm going to read it to you tonight. It goes like this. Before I read it, just for the record, this altar service tonight and the end of this service is going to be a celebration. So if you're thinking about coming, we're not doing that tonight. We're going to celebrate. Praise God. We're going to shout a little bit. So here was her, here was her letter. Dear heroine, when I first met you, you were the drug of my dreams and you answered all of my problems. You made me feel so wonderful. You took away all my hurts and pains. But little by little, you became more demanding. And the more loyal I was to you, the more abusive you became to me. You left me feeling worthless, ashamed, guilty, and regretful, and then betrayed and hurt. You left me with life-threatening diseases that I now have to live with and could end my life long before my time. Not to mention the times you tried to kill me via overdose a few times. Only by the grace and love of Jesus Christ was I saved. So I rebuke Satan who used you to destroy me. I renounce you. I want nothing to do with you ever again. It's over. Bye. Oh, somebody needs, somebody should rejoice and say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, where, where would I be? But thank God for his power. Thank God for his deliverance. Thank God for his redemption. I'm not going back to that lifestyle ever again. My goodness, that's worth shouting about. You, you should give God glory when he triumphs. The Hebrews, when they came out of slavery and bondage, they got to the Red Sea shore and they didn't know where to go, where to turn, what to do. And then sang Moses and the children of Israel and they worshiped God. Moses stretched out. The Lord said, I'm going to fight for you today. I want you to stretch out your rod. And he stretched out the rod. The Red Sea parted. They walked across on dry ground sea closed up on the other side they started singing unto the Lord this song I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea Woo! the Lord is my strength and song and he's become my salvation a man of war and the Lord is his name hallelujah I think I, I think it's time tonight on the other side to look back and recognize God saved you from a lot of stuff God brought you out from a lot of stuff hallelujah and you should thank God for it